It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson here on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. You can get me on Twitter, or Instagram, Facebook, everywhere at EW Erickson. And get the show notes by texting SHOW to 444-999. We still don't know why three different news outlets confirmed the same story last week. And this is relevant. CNN reported Friday morning that Donald Trump Jr., and I'm reading now from um, Ben Mathis Lilly at Slate, a liberal publication. CNN reported Friday morning that Donald Trump Jr. and his father received an email September 4th, 2016, which would have allowed them to access hacked Democratic emails that weren't posted by WikiLeaks until September 13th. CNN's report was based on multiple sources. It was huge news. CBS reported that it had confirmed CNN's report. NBC cited two sources who confirmed CNN's report. But at 1 p.m. on Friday, the Washington Post said the email in question was received September 14th. And it was just a link to the public documents from WikiLeaks. It wasn't an exclusive. It wasn't a sneak peek. It wasn't an advance. CNN, CBS, NBC all then reported the Post was right. But none said the error had been made on their end. CNN and CBS said their sources got it wrong. NBC blames CNN. But they won't disclose the source. And some members of the media are speculating that the source might have been Adam Schiff, the member of the House Intelligence Committee who has been pushing all sorts of stuff about Donald Trump and making all sorts of claims, many of which aren't true. And I was thinking about this yesterday and started putting this together and I want to walk you guys through it because I don't think many of you realize just how incestuous the media is with the Democratic Party. I know you know that they lean left. And I know you think that the media and the Democrats are somehow joined at the hip. You, you intuitively suspect it. You feel it in your gut to be true. You see a level of coordination that could only come from those incestuous links between the media and the Democrats. And I want you to know you're, you're right. And I want to explain the web to you. Because it's very fundamental that those of you who you feel like the president's not getting a fair shake by the media overall, that you need to understand why it is. And those of you who think the media is doing the best they can to cover the president, you need to understand that they can do better. I will get to Roy Moore, who rode his horse, by the way. He always does. He rides his horse to um, the voter booth, he, to the where he votes. He rode his horse today. Great media spectacle. Many of them didn't realize he did this and were amazed. In the 6 o'clock hour, please stick around here for the 6 o'clock hour because the election in Alabama is tonight. 
And I want to walk you through because no one knows what's going to happen. And don't believe anyone who says they know what's going to happen. And the reason why is because you got a bunch of polls all over the place. The ones that call cell phones say uh, Doug Jones is going to win. The ones that don't say Roy Moore is going to win. No one knows. The polling average is a virtually tied race within the margin of error. A two-point race, if that. And so I want to walk you through geographically in Alabama tonight. As the results are coming in, you should be able to see who's going to win based on when votes typically come in and which counties they typically come in and at what rate they typically come in so that you'll be able to figure this out and not be up all night. But there's other news that I want to get to first, including this web of the media and Democratic ties because it's so relevant for all these stories happening right now, including the coverage of Roy Moore. A few years ago, you know, I don't like doing PowerPoints, and the reason I don't like doing PowerPoints is because I think most people who do PowerPoints do them badly. They're too cluttered, and they rely on the PowerPoint instead of being able to actually talk. And I would much rather talk than give a PowerPoint, so I never give PowerPoints. But a couple of years ago, I thought graphically it would make it easier if I did. And I prepared a PowerPoint presentation for a group of Republican donors in Texas to show them just how incestuous the media is. One of the slides noted that Jay Carney, the White House press secretary, had been at Time Magazine as a political reporter. He went to work for Vice President Joe Biden, and then he went to the White House as the press secretary. And when Carney left the White, the vice president's office, he was replaced by Shyla Murray, who had gone, was a reporter for the Washington Post, a political reporter for the Washington Post, went to be Joe Biden's press secretary. And Shyla Murray, the Washington Post reporter turned Democratic press secretary, was married to Neil King, is married to Neil King, who was the political reporter for the Wall Street Journal in Washington. Now, Neil contacted me and took issue with the implication I was intentionally drawing that he was probably biased, given that he was married to Joe Biden's press secretary, who herself had masqueraded as an unbiased political reporter. And he was a fair reporter, I think, although my point to him and my point at the time was that it was very clear his presuppositions were of the left when he went into stories and the people he had the easiest access to were people of the left because he was married to Joe Biden's press secretary. It's really funny to me that he, Neil King, has left the Wall Street Journal and now works for Fusion GPS, the organization that formed the Trump dossier with Christopher Steele. In fact, the Washington Post, I told you about yesterday, is running a report that Fusion GPS used media connections to advance various interests. It had reporters on its payroll, essentially. It was feeding reporters stories, helping those reporters build their careers while it helped its clients. It also had on its payroll the wife of a senior Justice Department employee. And now, of course, we got the Adam Schiff allegations. He may have been the source to CBS and to CNN, the primary source. And then you've got all these other people married into the White House. Listen, I, I want to read you some of what I wrote this morning at The Resurgent. This is from me. Jay Carney went from time to the White House press secretary's office. Shyla Murray went from the Washington Post to the vice president's office while mar married to Neil King of the Wall Street Journal. Linda Douglas went from ABC News to the White House. She's the one who did the video encouraging people to turn their neighbors in if they lied about Obamacare. She left the White House and went to the Atlantic Magazine. Jill Zuckman went from the Chicago Tribune to the Obama Administration's Transportation Department. Douglas France went from the Washington Post to the State Department. Steve Barr went from the Washington Post to the Labor Department. Ruth Marcus, who may be a familiar name to some of you, She's the head of the Washington Post editorial board. 
She was married to the Obama administration's former FTC chairman. Jonathan Allen, who is at NBC News now, had been at the Politico. He left the Politico to work for Debbie Wasserman Schultz, returned to the Politico after working for Wasserman Schultz and the Democrats. Then he left the Politico and went to the left-leaning Vox website. He left Vox. Now he's at NBC News as an objective reporter. Andy Barr worked for the Politico for years in politics and then left to work in Democratic politics. Michael Shearer, who's at time, took Jay Carney's job, was at the left-leaning Salon and then at the left-leaning Mother Jones before going to time. Laura Rosen, who is a foreign policy magazine writer who the Obama administration pinned as someone who would write favorably about their policy, she was at Mother Jones and the left-leaning American prospect before going to foreign policy. Even Nate Silver of 538 fame, he started out as a blogger at the left-leaning Daily Coast. You got Matthew Dowd, who worked for a bunch of Democrats before going to work for George W. Bush. That gave him the veneer of bipartisanship before he turned on George W. Bush to get hired by ABC News as their senior political analyst, who also employs George Stephanopoulos as an objective reporter. He worked for Bill Clinton. The problem here is that many of the editorial-level checks lean left, and so they can't run the traps to effectively stop bad stories. And we're seeing a continued breakdown of trust in the media because of it, and something's got to give. But I don't know that the media can correct itself because it's so far inside a bubble of its own creation, it can't do the due diligence to correct itself. It's not that these reporters are incapable of being fair. I think they are capable of being fair. And my experience with some of them shows that they can be fair, but the problem is that many of them don't realize their biases are so left-leaning that their presuppositions when they try to form stories are tripping them up. They're more interested in a narrative to protect President Obama's legacy than they are the facts. And because they got to protect Barack Obama's legacy, they've got to undermine Donald Trump. It is an inculcated, incestuous, left-leaning bias of Democrats who float in and out of the media at all times, in all cases. You guys... I can talk this afternoon. Ugh, the allergies are in full force. I need The Last Jedi. Charlie, by the way, went and saw The Last Jedi. He and Mark Yerum and company, they they didn't invite me. <laughs> I can't wait to see it this week. Uh, and for some reason, uh, my computer is deciding to pull up PowerPoint for reasons that I have no idea. I don't even use PowerPoint. Nonetheless, I digress. I am very excited about seeing Star Wars. It is getting mixed reviews. Charlie told me that he needs to mull it over before he really considers what he thought of it, and that seems to be a consensus among a number of fans. It's much more complex than what some had initially thought, but, I mean, it's Star Wars. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, going to see it. Now, when we come back, I want to walk you guys through the polling in Alabama so that you will learn how to navigate what is going on on the ground there tonight uh, because no one really knows who is going to win. Nobody really knows um, how things are going to shape up. And the reason is because the polling is very close in Alabama. It is a real concern among pollsters that they get tonight right and they know that a lot of the pollsters are going to get it wrong and they're happy about that. The reason they're happy about that is because they will have an idea of what models work and don't work after tonight in Alabama. At least they think so. And I'm not 100% sold on the idea. And I'm not 100% sold because 
It's a special election. Now, I'll talk about that in the 6 o'clock hour. When we come back, Donald Trump has insulted Senator Gillibrand from New York. And then Elizabeth Warren called her a slut. I'm not actually making that up. She she did. And we need to talk about it because she didn't realize that she did, and she did. I have to admit going into this, it just seems ridiculous to have to talk about this. But talk about it, we must. Donald Trump is tweeting about a New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, or Gillibrand, however you say her name, who is calling on him to resign over sexual harassment allegations. And he tweeted, lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer, and someone who would come to my office begging, in quotation marks, begging, for campaign contributions not so long ago and would do anything for them, he puts in parentheses, is now in the ring fighting against Trump. Very disloyal to Bill and crooked. Used. You know, one of the greatest things, speaking of Star Wars, Mark Hamill, who did for the longest time the voice of the Joker in the Batman animated series. I would love, I would pay money to hear Mark Hamill do that tweet in the Joker's voice. Nonetheless, Democrats reacted. They had her back. And of course, Elizabeth Warren came out swinging, saying that, oh, I see the Washington Post is leaving that out, um, that Elizabeth Warren is asking, why is Donald Trump, quote unquote, slut shaming Kirsten Gillibrand. Now, y'all, here's the thing. Donald Trump didn't slut shame Kirsten Gillibrand. And it is interesting that Elizabeth Warren, who will probably be an opponent to Kirsten Gillibrand in the 2020 presidential primary for the Democrats, would suggest as much. And there are women, conservative women on Twitter, pointing out that, that the phrase slut shaming is people who disagree with the woman's propensity to sleep around. And so apparently Elizabeth Warren, by using it, is suggesting that Kirsten Gilbrand sleeps around. Now, this is people on Twitter being too clever by half. It is interesting to me, though, that the Democrats immediately rushed to Donald Trump, um, suggesting that Kirsten Gilbrand would perform adult services to get what she wanted. Again, here's his tweet. Lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer and someone who would come to my office begging for campaign contributions not so long ago and would do anything for them, is now in the ring fighting against Trump. I love how he talks about himself in the third person. Very disloyal to Bill and crooked, used in capital letters. So a lot of reporters read that parenthetical and would do anything for them. And I guess that's what Elizabeth Warren is reading and suggesting that the president must be suggesting she would sleep with him. 
saying this in the light of the Harvey Weinstein stories and all the other stories out there, that must be what he's talking about. Now, the White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, says that people should get their mind out of the gutter. Um, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about doing things in politics to get donations. Here's the problem, though. And you just got to admit this, that Donald Trump himself has been in that gutter. So it is, in fact, very plausible to think that he would be thinking that sort of thing. But there is a larger issue here, and that is, why does anyone care? Why does anyone care that the president said something not nice about Kirsten Gillibrand on Twitter? The media spends an inordinate amount of time telling us how Donald Trump tries to distract them from covering the real story. It seems to me the media itself is perfectly willing to be distracted by any of the president's tweets they don't like to run off and chase a news story or create out of whole cloth a news story and avoid reporting the big stories of the day, which, I mean, to a degree, let's be fair, as long as they're reporting on the president's tweets, they're not misreporting basic facts like what happened last week. By the way, I want you to know I continue to have conversations with the various gubernatorial candidates, Democrat and Republican, to invite them to WSB in January. What I want to do with them, I don't want to have a, a Tim Russert meet the press style interview. That's not really my style. What I would like to do is sit down with them and discuss who they are, why they're running, what their policy preferences are, and what sets them apart from the other candidates. And I'm willing to do this with all the, the major, and I, I'm saying major, and here's why I'm saying major. Because there are a couple of people who have decided to run for governor, and you don't know them, and I don't know them, and no one will ever know them, and they may get 10 votes. And I'm just not opening myself and my show and my station up to anyone <clears throat> who has the money to put their name on the ballot and say, I'm running, if they can't attract attention for themselves. And, and that's part of the thing here, is you've got to at least have a pulse in the polls. And you can say, but Trump, but Trump, but even Donald Trump had his press conference and got attraction in the polls and was able to get himself up in the polls. You've got to be able to do something. And I've already had one angry exchange with someone running for governor, as or claims to be running for governor as a Republican, hasn't qualified, didn't even know who the guy was, and was outraged that he had not gotten invited to this thing next year. I'm sorry if I don't know who you are, and no one else knows who you are, and the the one person who seems to have a vague idea of who you might be refers to you as a crank. I'm not putting you on the station and subjecting listeners to. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it. But for the rest of you, I will give you the details as they are forthcoming. Those of you who listen to the podcast um, or have taken advantage of action items will get advanced um, the right to be notified in advance. So you get uh, the, the chance to get a seat before everyone else. So hint, hint, listen to the podcast. Uh, but we will have seats available and we will take questions from the crowd from you. In writing, because uh, I'm not handing you the microphone where you can talk all night while you think of your question, I will read the questions to the candidates, and we are inviting them all, uh, except the cranks, who have no name ID and are just putting their name on the ballot. And I look forward to doing this next year. Now, when we come back, 
More importantly, we have an election in Alabama tonight. The polls close at 8 p.m. Eastern, and I want to walk you through how you can tell who's going to win tonight because no one knows, and the exit polls are completely inconclusive, and you should be able to look at the counties in Alabama tonight and say, oh, this is going to be a close one or this is going to be a blowout, and I'll tell you how to do that when we come back. I am Eric Erickson. Y'all, I thought experiment for you, if you will. What would happen? What would happen if Doug Jones in Alabama were pro-life? You see, the media never focuses on the Democratic Party's narrow-mindedness on social issues. But there are a lot of people who will be going to vote in Alabama today on the life issue. They have qualms with Roy Moore. They are concerned about the complaints. They are concerned about the accusations. But they want to save children. And I realize Democrats will laugh and make a joke and say, you want to save the children so Roy Moore can molest them. I've heard it already. I've heard it from a lot of Democrats smugly patting themselves on the back who want to ignore the issue that if Doug Jones were pro-life, the Democrats could be easily picking up a seat in Alabama tonight. As is, he may pick it up, but it's going to be close. The exit polling is of absolutely no use in Alabama tonight. It never is in a special election. But if he were pro-life, I suspect Doug Jones would be having an easier time convincing Republicans to vote for him. But the Democrats cannot help themselves. When we come back, I'll break down the play-by-play of what's going to happen tonight in Alabama. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. As you know, as I mentioned, the uh, Roy Moore race versus Doug Jones concludes in Alabama this evening. Uh, The runoff from when uh, Roy Moore beat Luther Strange in the primary. And I want to remind everyone, before we go further with this, it is very much worth noting that the reason we are in this situation has a lot to do with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, who many people think is a strategic genius. I, I never have. And there are people who, well, they've gotten so invested in the establishment versus the, the, the Trumpista upstarts narrative they're willing to defend Mitch McConnell at all costs and they do so at their own peril because the reality of the matter is Mitch McConnell through his leadership pack in Washington DC made a strategic calculation that Roy Moore would be easier to beat than Mo Brooks in a runoff so Roy Moore and I guess I, I, this is the runoff. This is the general election, isn't it? I'm, I'm sorry, my, my brain's a little rusty, and I, I've, I've laid out all this polling stuff I want to go through, and so it's, it's, it's got me turned upside down to a degree. But point still stands here. It was Mitch McConnell's leadership pack that poured a lot of money into the Alabama primary uh, to target Mo Brooks. Uh, the the Mitch McConnell allied groups in Washington spent more money attacking Mo Brooks in the primary than they did defending Luther Strange in the primary. 
And the reason they did that is because they were convinced that Roy Moore would be easy pickings in the runoff. So they wiped out Mo Brooks, putting Luther Strange into a runoff with Roy Moore. And all Roy Moore had to do was make the race about Mitch McConnell and sticking for, with Donald Trump. Even though Trump endorsed Luther Strange, voters polled repeatedly in Alabama said they believed that Roy Moore was actually the Donald Trump candidate. Even though Donald Trump publicly and on the campaign trail came out for Luther Strange, voters in Alabama suggested that Roy Moore would be more supportive of Donald Trump than Luther Strange. And so you had that situation coupled with the ongoing fallout from the resignation of the former governor of Alabama, um, who Luther Strange, there were allegations, had engaged in various corrupt dealings with. So the voters in Alabama already had Luther Strange pegged as a corrupt politician, and they wanted to drain the swamp. They believe Roy Moore was more likely to drain the swamp, and Mitch McConnell, working his magic in Washington, had taken out uh, the candidate who probably also could have beaten Luther Strange in the runoff uh, on the assumption that Roy Moore would be easy to beat. They got overconfident with Roy Moore. So the election is held, the runoff is held, and Roy Moore handily, easily beats Luther Strange. So now we're left in the general election with Roy Moore versus Luther Strange. And, well, the scandal breaks. The scandal over what Roy Moore did or did not do. Now, to their credit, the Washington Post spent a very long time on this story. It is my belief, and you cannot persuade me otherwise, it is my belief that it was the McConnell allies, not the Democrats, who fed the story to the Washington Post. They tried to get it out before the runoff, but the Washington Post delayed it because they wanted to get as many people as possible on the record. They wanted to buttress the allegations to make them very hard to dismiss. And you could see with the James O'Keefe situation um, how the Washington Post worked very, very hard to make sure its sources uh, were legitimate. And that's why a number of people have given a lot of credibility to the Washington Post story. Um, they did not deal with Gloria Allred's uh, person. They, they only dealt with certain people in Alabama, and they believe they had a strong story. So we've got the Roy Moore situation in Alabama. We've, we've got him ahead in the polls slightly until this new story breaks with the Washington Post. And the Washington Post avoided a lot of the pitfalls we saw in the James O'Keefe situation or even with Gloria Allred, Although I think the Gloria Allred uh, situation where her person came forward and admitted to adding text to the yearbook, um, it, which just bolstered the Roy Moore argument she had made the whole thing up. Um, well, uh, the Washington Post story has been undermined by that, uh, but its, its witnesses, no one's been able to dispute them. Although the Moore campaign has given it their best shot. That's why some people treat them credibly. Uh, the question, though, is what is the impact in Alabama on uh, Roy Moore based on these allegations? And here's the defining mark here in the polling, and this is why this race is so unique. This is a special election. Doug Jones, should he get elected tonight, and the odds are against him probably, although it's a, it's a toss-up, uh, but this is a overwhelmingly Republican state. And even if Doug Jones were to get elected tonight, uh, he's going to lose in 
2018, more likely than not. Because Alabama is such a Republican state, uh, Roy Moore wouldn't be able to challenge him again in 2018, but someone would and would probably undermine him. So you got that going for the Republicans in Alabama. However, were Jones to win tonight, he could help scuttle the Republican tax plan and many of the other Republican plans in Washington because they would be down one seat and they're already having all sorts of obstacles in Washington among the Republicans when it comes to their agenda. So uh, Jones makes things more problematic for the GOP in the short term. In the long term, not really. He'll be a former senator next year, but will he even be? And that's going to be a question for Alabama voters tonight. And the issue here is that all of the polling is very divergent. This, by the way, before I get into to where to look tonight and what to see, get, I just a, a word on polling, please. This is a special election with low turnout, and it is going to be very, very hard for people to predict what the polling is going to have. Fox News and The Washington Post have very good pollsters, and those pollsters have uh, Doug Jones in the lead. And those pollsters have low uh, margins of error, and they've called cell phones. And that seems to to add some credibility to their polling and that they've called cell phones. The Fox News poll, though, has decidedly leaned against Roy Moore for a while. Um, the, the Fox News poll has been the, the harshest to Roy Moore. And their explanation of being harsh towards Roy Moore has a lot to do with their voter intensity model. Every pollster uses a different model. That's part of their secret sauce. And the Fox News pollsters, who are very good uh, bipartisan polling firm, they believe Democratic intensity is more than Republican intensity, and they have believed this since before the allegations. So their model all along has been more sympathetic to Doug Jones based on partisan intensity. Their model now has Doug Jones 10 points in the lead. Uh, they show Doug Jones with a larger margin than anyone else. They are also calling a lot more people with live operators and calling cell phones, which tends to make those models more accurate. But that being said, we don't know. So what do we look for? In Alabama, when we come back, let me break down what you will need to pay attention to tonight as the results come in from Alabama uh, based on what Alabama pollsters, not national pollsters who've never been to Alabama say, but what Alabama political experts and pollsters say. I will break that down for you on the other side of the break. Roy Moore, the elections tonight. Maybe it's Doug Jones. Is it Jones Mintum, Moore Mintum? We will find out here in a little while in Alabama. They are an hour behind um, poll closing times there. I think they close at 8 o'clock our time. Uh, Zach McCrary is a pollster in Alabama. He's a Democratic polling partner at ALG Research. And he has broken down uh, what he's looking for in Alabama tonight, uh, where people need to pay attention to the votes. We don't have enough time in this segment because the segment is short. Uh, so when we come back, I want to walk you through that so you have an idea as you see the polls closing tonight where things need to look. Um, in the meantime, in the spirit of you will be made to care, I want to let you know what has happened in Iowa, which I am discovering Iowa is actually a more liberal socially in the past few years than a lot of people realize because Iowa has catered to the dot-com folks and they brought a lot of liberals in from out of state. 
and have kind of shifted the values of the state, which is what we're going to see happen here in Georgia when Amazon comes in. Just just wait for it. A Christian student group that requires its leaders pledge to uphold core values like affirming sexual immorality uh, have had to sue the University of Iowa because the school has kicked it off campus. Business Leaders in Christ makes all of its students' leaders vow to uphold the faith statement of the group that says they should conduct their careers without the greed, racism, sexual immorality, and selfishness that too often arise in business, political, and cultural institutions. The University of Iowa pulled the group registration after one student said he wasn't selected for leadership position because he's openly gay. So the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty has had to file suit against the university for religious discrimination that this group is not allowed to uphold its own values and its own morals. You know, we're seeing this uh, Vanderbilt in Tennessee, which was a Methodist institution. I believe it was Methodist. They, they've largely done the same thing. They have kicked uh, Christian groups off campus because the Christian groups have dared to say that the leaders of the groups on campus have to actually be practicing Christians. And this, by the way, this is what uh, liberal activists are doing as an end run around some of these groups claiming discrimination. Uh, they're saying that your group uh, cannot require anyone to adhere to the values of the group. So by, by making it a values-based determination, it allows the, the black student group to ensure that the head of the black student organization is black, uh, but the Christian organization can ensure that the, Christian, that the person in charge of it is a Christian organization. Pay attention to these cases. We're going to get more and more of these unless Anthony Kennedy um, it provides some moral clarity. And since it's Anthony Kennedy, we can't hold our breath on that. These stories are going to explode in the next few years across the nation, including here in Georgia, which refuses to pass religious liberty legislation. Now, when we come back, what to look for on the ground in Alabama as the polls close tonight. I'm back. Welcome. Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. I want to give you the lay of the land now tonight in Alabama, uh, how the race is probably going to shape up what you need to watch for. And I need to add this here i am if i had to call the race i'd say roy moore but i take pause in saying that because the live operator cell phone call polling suggests doug jones and those tend to be better polls but in the last 24 hours, we've had a plus 10 for Jones poll and a plus 9 for Moore poll. Um, the plus 10 for Jones called cell phones. The plus 9 for Moore did not. And I have no idea. And, and don't believe anyone who tells you definitively what's going to happen tonight in Alabama because no one knows. And no one knows for a number of reasons. First and foremost, because this is a special election. Second, because we know for certain now from the 2016 presidential election that people are lying to pollsters. And we're getting hints of this in Alabama through divergent polling that in southern areas, it, it looks like there are people who are lying, saying that they're voting for Roy Moore when they're in fact voting for Doug Jones. And in northern suburban Republican areas, it looks like there are people lying, saying they're voting for Roy Moore. Um, or that they're voting for Doug Jones when they're actually voting for Roy Moore. They, they don't want people to know they're actually standing by their man. Uh, so it depends. There's a lot we don't know. Uh, Zach McCrary at ALG Research, he's an Alabama pollster. 
And he has a very good piece today up at medium.com on what's happening. And let me just read you some excerpts from what he wrote. A lower African-American turnout uh, comprising 24% of the electorate or so makes things very tough for Jones, whereas a higher African-American turnout around 28% of the electorate or higher would make the math for Jones' victory much more manageable. Beyond African-American turnout, can Jones reshape the white electorate and make it at least a touch younger, a touch more female, and a touch more highly educated than usual midterm elections? That might be the key to hitting his win number with whites. Under either scenario, Jones has to dramatically overperform the basic Democratic DNA of the state. And of course, it's an, if enough Republicans make peace with the idea of turning out to vote for Roy Moore, the most these other turnout questions are moot. So here's the thing we got to keep in mind here about the race. Um, can... Doug Jones get to 48, 49% of the vote. I think it's very doable. In 2012, Roy Moore saw his Democratic opponent, whose name was Bob Vance, get 48% of the vote. I mean, we saw that over here in uh, the Ossoff Karen Handel race. John Ossoff was able to get 48% of the vote. In South Carolina's 5th Congressional District, uh, the Archie Parnell, that is Jim, uh, not Jim, Mick Mulvaney's seat, um, Archie Parnell got over 48% of the vote. So the higher the share of write-ins, and you've got people like Richard Shelby, prominent, respected Republican senator over there, saying he wrote someone in, the higher the write-in number, the better Jones is going to do. So where do we look for the vote to break down? Well, Jefferson County is Birmingham, Madison County is Huntsville, and then you've got Montgomery and Mobile. And according to Zach McCreary, Jones needs to carry each of these four and he needs to do so well into the 60 percentile range in Jefferson County and probably the 70 percentile range in Montgomery County. That's doable because both have a large African-American base, but they got to do it. And you've got suburban voters who are the white population there who tend to be better educated than the more rural area white voters. Madison County in Huntsville is one of the earlier counties to report, and if Jones is near a double-digit margin there, that's a good sign for him. So look for Huntsville, the Huntsville area, Madison. If that poll closes, they tend to come in early, unlike Atlanta. And Jones is in double digits there. That could be a good sign for him. But he's also got to activate black voters in rural central part of the state, which is called by pollsters over there and politicos as the black belt. And they don't mean uh, where a large population of black voters live. They mean that the soil there is very dark. And so forever it's been called the black belt. There is a vein of very fertile black soil that runs through central Alabama. Uh, and so you got uh, Selma and Tuskegee are kind of the tit poles of the black belt. Hillary Clinton uh, did better there than she did winning either the Birmingham area, Jefferson County, or Montgomery. If Doug Jones is getting 70% plus in these counties and uh, closer to 90% of these counties, well, it looks like black voters are turning out for him. Now, there are some other counties to keep in mind here. Shelby County is the suburban county next to Birmingham. Very, very Republican. It's probably the most Republican county in Alabama and has been for a generation or so. But it's high income and highly educated, and Roy Moore has never done well there. In fact, in 2012, uh, Roy Moore underperformed Mitt Romney by 14 points in Shelby County. Hillary Clinton got 23% there in 2016. So if Doug Jones is able to get in the high 30s, 
in Shelby County, that is a red flag for Roy Moore. Same with Baldwin County, which is down at Mobile on the Alabama Gulf Coast, uh, the Orange uh, Orange Beach Gulf Shores area down there. You got a suburban core of high-end, well-educated white voters. Roy Moore ran 12 points behind Mitt Romney there in 2012. Hillary Clinton only got 19% in 2016. If Doug Jones can get over a third of the vote there, if he can get close to 40%, in Baldwin County, uh, probably a really good sign for him. Uh, it was interesting that Roy Moore did his first event down there, with, or rather Steve Bannon did his first event down there. That's where he wanted to go, kind of the Florida panhandle crowd. Republicans clearly know they got to get the turnout in uh, Baldwin County. Uh, then there's the Limestone, Morgan Counties. They're near Huntsville. They surround it, kind of like Shelby and Baldwin. They've got large populations, highly educated, highly income, Republican areas. Uh, they don't like Roy Moore there. Hillary Clinton got in the low 20s. Uh, if Jones can get in the 40s there, he's doing well. So look in those areas. If, if Doug Jones is doing well along the coast and in the counties that surround Birmingham, if he's getting close to 40% of those areas, a third of the vote or higher, then Roy Moore may have a very, very tough night. And there's also Etowah County where Roy Moore is from. If the Gadsden area comes out weak for Roy Moore, remember Mitt Romney got 68% there in 2012 and Roy Moore only got 55% the same year. If it's a very close race in Etowah County, uh, it's probably over for Roy Moore unless he can keep it very close and above across the state, which is hard to do. Uh, those are the counties to pay attention tonight. I'll review them again real quick when we come back. Okay, so keep in mind, this again, this is from Zach McCrary, who is a pollster in Alabama. Look in the urban areas of Birmingham and Montgomery. If Doug Jones can pull off sizable wins there, and then he can do so in places like Selma and Tuskegee as well. In Selma and Tuskegee, get in the 80-90% region. He's doing very well. If he can keep it close in Shelby County, in Etowah County, in uh, Madison County, which is Huntsville, and then along the coast, uh, he also has a good chance. If, however, you see Roy Moore coming in with big leads in the Madison County area, which is going to come in early, if he's doing very well in Madison County, if Roy Moore is, and he's holding uh, Doug Jones close in places like Shelby County and Montgomery, then Republicans need to start worrying about Roy Moore. Uh, because if he can hold Doug Jones close in places like uh, Montgomery and in Baldwin County, or not Baldwin County, in um, the Birmingham area, and he Doug Jones is holding him close in places like Shelby County and, and Madison County and Etowah County, his home county, well, that looks like... The Democratic surge is really happening in Alabama. So those are your core counties that you need to look at. Um, Jefferson County is Birmingham. That's the one I'm thinking of. If if Doug Jones is just blowing it away in Jefferson County, it may be an early night for Doug Jones. Uh, but we don't know. We won't know until the polls close and the vote starts rolling in. It's going to be an interesting night. Stick with WSB. We'll provide you continuing coverage. I'll be back with Scott Slade in the morning at 8.15 to give you the play-by-play -play of what happens tonight in Alabama. You guys have a wonderful evening.